Well done. So we're going to read today, uh, if you've got your Bibles there, Malachi, it's the very last book in the Old Testament, uh, so it's just before Matthew, and that's our second uh, time in Matthew, uh, in Malachi. We're going to read from uh, 1, 6 to 2, 9. Thanks, guys. Okay. Um, it's called Breaking Covenant Through Blemish Sacrifices. A son honours his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now, plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fire. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at us contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an unacceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared amongst the nations. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. And you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may be continued, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me, and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble, 
You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to, to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Well, let's get stuck in. I think that's one of the passages, if you just think about it, if you were to just read it again, um, I think it applies itself. I don't think it requires me to say uh, a great deal about it today. Um, but let's just recap. Um, let's go back one before we, before we dig into that. Um, I kind of want to ask you at this point in time, uh, a coronavirus time when things are different, what is the Lord saying to us? Is the Lord saying something um, to us? Uh, as a church, as a family, uh, as a country, what, what is the Lord saying to us? What is the Lord, uh, what is the Lord saying to me? And I'm kind of working on the assumption that, that in affliction, there is, a, a, at the very least, the Lord is saying, uh, I want you to come and find me and to take me more seriously um, than you ever have done before. But that's not necessarily going to mean the same thing uh, for all people. Uh, we fail at different places. Um, so th there is, this is a time, I think, for, for each of us to, to be hunting out. What is the Lord saying um, to me through this time? And we saw last time that we, needed to, we need to start by uh, an understanding that we are loved by grace. Um, I have loved you, said the Lord. That's his, that's his opening words through the prophet Malachi. I have loved you. Um, and we saw, uh, interestingly, um, they ask, uh, the people ask, or actually the Lord anticipates that the people will, will ask, how have, you, how have you loved us? And the Lord's answer is, look, Jacob, uh, you were the same as Esau. Um, you are both uh, unworthy people, but I chose you and I didn't choose him. This is what we call the concept of, of election in the Bible, that God um, chooses people um, to be his people, um, to trust him and to believe in him and to receive his blessing. Putting like this, we are as unworthy as the next person, but chosen by God. That's, that's our bottom line understanding of God's love. And it troubles many people. Uh, this this concept of election, I understand that, but I, but I still think it, it's it's the starting point to hearing God rightly and responding correctly. Because I think anything else, if you you see it, you will say, well, hang on a minute, but but I chose Christ, and and yes, you chose Christ, but you only chose him because he chose you first. It's like you approach the narrow way. Um, the gate to the, the narrow way that Jesus asks you to take. Um, and you say, yes, I chose it, and I, and I opened the gate, and I walked through. But when you look back, um, you see that you only got that far because Jesus was drawing you, Jesus was opening your eyes, and actually Jesus was opening the gate for you. Why is this important as we go forward? Because I think it, it affects how we think about ourselves. If we think, yes, I chose God, there's a danger to think, well, uh, um, yes, I understand I was, I was as simple as, as the other person. I was I'm as simple as the next man, but at least I had the sense um, to, to choose God when the opportunity came. And there's a problem there, because as soon as we 
allow ourselves to say that, that we did something that somebody else didn't. Um, we give room for us to feel worthy. We just open the door to thinking that we've done something for which God ought to reward us. We, we start to think that we've done something uh, and, and because of that, God owes us something. And I think that undermines our spiritual health as we go forward and as we try to work out what God is saying to us and as we try to deal with sin. So I think ultimately that um, undermines the path to godliness. And actually, I think it undermines having a true experience um, of God in your life. So that was last time. Uh, the bottom line is, is that God loves you. Uh, and God loves you enough uh, to choose you, even though you are powerless um, and you actually have no intention of choosing him before he, before he moved in your life. But let's move into uh, today. And, and look at what uh, the next thing that Malachi says um, to the people. There, there's, there's a challenge here. He says, a son honours his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me? There's, there's a kind of natural order of honour um, that a son should honour his father and a slave should honour his master and if God is um, his father and master then his people should honour his name. His name is being um, dishonoured. And the name of God, sorry, <laughs> getting confused about that point, trying to get that, uh, it won't go back, okay, you just have to live with that. The name of the Lord is, is being dishonoured, is being dishonoured. Uh, and the name of the Lord is just not um, it's not like people uh, swearing or, or using his name in, in vain. Um, the Lord appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai and he said this. Um, he proclaimed his name. He passed in front of Moses. This is when Moses had received the Ten Commandments, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. The Lord proclaimed his, his name to Moses. He showed um, all that he is, and he was um, present to Moses and with Moses um, at that point in time. So to despise God's name uh, is to despise who God is, is to despise his self-revelation, to despise his character, and to despise his presence. And it's ironic, isn't it, that neither the people nor the priests can see um, how this is happening. Um, how have we shown um, contempt for your name, uh, they say? How, and we say, how can they not see? How can they not see? They're bringing, they're bringing the worst animals to sacrifice, not the best. How can they not see it? Well, I don't know whether you knew this about mosquitoes. This is interesting. Um, when, a, a when a mosquito goes to, to bite you, it, it secretes um, saliva, its saliva onto your skin. I know this is lovely. Uh, it secretes its saliva onto your skin, and there is an anaesthetic um, in that saliva which numbs you so that when it bites you, um, you don't feel it, um, and then it kind of starts sucking your blood, and it starts feeling around until it kind of hits something that it can suck. Um, 
they are the only creatures apparently that can spin and suck at the same time. And sin and disobedience to God is like that. Each time you do something uh, that you you know to be wrong, you you add anaesthetic to your conscience. Every time you 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 sin, you you like the mosquito, you anaesthetize um, your, your conscience. And if you carry on, then you become blind uh, to what you're doing, and you end up like these people and these priests um, saying, um, "How are we bringing contempt to your name?" Because the answer is obvious. Um, they're bringing uh, defiled animals for sacrifice. The Lord's instruction to them was clear. Um, the Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons all these rites. If any of you presents a gift for a burnt offering, either to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering, you must present a male without defect from the cattle, sheep or goats in order that it might be accepted on your behalf. Don't bring anything with a defect because it won't be accepted on your behalf. Must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Don't offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, or the maimed, or anything with warts, or festering, or running sores. Don't place these on the altar as a food presented to the Lord. And yet they're doing exactly that. They're bringing blind, lame, and diseased animals to the Lord and expecting him to accept them. And, and the Lord says, to Malachi, try offering that to your governor. Imagine you, you've invited your boss round, or imagine he's invited you round um, to talk about a promotion. Um, will you bring him a, a bouquet of flowers which is covered in black fly? Will you bring him a broken box of feroche which was kind of shop sold in the first place and you've eaten five of them? Or will you bring him a kind of like a used and, and scratched CD that's been in your collection for, uh, for years? Um, and it's just one that you don't listen to anymore. How bizarre what they're doing. So some of these offerings are for, for their atonement and their forgiveness. How bizarre to offer a, a crippled sacrifice. What are they saying? Are they saying to God, I don't really need your forgiveness? Some offerings were for thanksgiving and for, uh, for a, a commitment to the Lord. How bizarre to go to the Lord, uh, kind of making vows of commitment uh, and bringing him a sacrifice that's blind or warty. What are you trying to say? What are they saying to the Lord? They're saying, I'm, I'm doing this because I know I ought to, but I'm not going to do it wholeheartedly or in the way that you suggested. So as one writer says, the aim of these rituals is to make possible the continued presence of God amongst his people. So do they really want the continued presence of God amongst them? And the Lord says that if you're going to carry on doing this, um, let me find it, it would be better that the temple doors were shut. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you wouldn't light useless fires um, on my altar. What a dreadful thing to say. God would prefer the people to stay away rather than to come unwillingly, reluctantly, uh, pretending worship or commitment that they didn't actually intend. What an awful thing, wouldn't it, if the Lord said the same thing to us? You, you're bringing me offerings, not really from the heart, you're bringing me offerings 
just because you feel that's the right thing to do. If that's the case, it'd be better if the deacons um, screwed the, the doors of the church shut and put it up for sale. That would be a horrible place to get to. But the Lord says that even if his people at this point in time, um, Israel, God's people of, of the moment, um, are not honouring him, there's a time will come um, when his name will be great amongst the nations. It's like he says to Israel, if you are not um, intent on wholehearted worship, then uh, so be it. But a, a day will come when there will, uh, from all nations, there will be, uh, I will gather for myself uh, a people who will uh, worship me um, wholeheartedly. And we know that to be true. We know that that comes true through Christ. Uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is this sense, the Lord says, if, if not you, so be it. Um, but, there, but I will have a people uh, at the end of time. Um, and this is kind of Malachi's first kind of hint. He comes back and, and talks about this day of the Lord. Now, he doesn't use that terminology here, but he talks about this, this day of the Lord, when the Lord will return. So he will be honoured, um, because he says, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, my name will be great. This is because I am a great king. My name will be uh, wholeheartedly honoured at, at the end of, of time. Um, but in the meantime, he says to Israel, um, that he, you profane, you profane my table, and you say, what a burden, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously. What a horrible thing. What a place that would be to get to when, we, if we came to church, um, to, to, our, to our great king, but profaning the sacrifice that Jesus made um, because we're not honouring God in our hearts and actually we're just coming because it's routine and actually in our hearts we're saying, what a chore. What a chore, he says. And this half-hearted worship, um, the, the Lord says, um, when, when you do this, you, you don't bring blessing on yourself. If you come to the Lord and just saying it, it, it's a chore, um, you're not actually calling down blessing on yourself. In fact, um, you're calling down um, cursing. You're not you're not inviting the Lord's pleasure. Uh, you're invoking His His displeasure. Let's hope that we're not will that we're not guilty of the same. But let's test, test our hearts for a moment. Is, is, it, is our worship painless worship? Is it worship that doesn't cost us anything? Um, we just give God the time and attention that's left over um, from, the, from the rest of life. That would be like bringing a blind lamb uh, to the altar. Is it thoughtless worship? Is it giving less reverence to God than it does to your manager, say. 
That's like bringing roadkill to the altar. Or is it contemptuous worship? Weary and bored uh, of the whole thing. Just need to realize that um, your attitude to the means of grace uh, is your attitude to the, to the Lord. So God has given you means um, to be in touch with him, uh, to know his presence, uh, to, to seek his blessing and his help. He's given you, he's given you the Bible, he's given you prayer, uh, he's given you church uh, and fellowship, uh, he's given you baptism, uh, he's given you the Lord's table. How you feel about those things is how you feel about the Lord. If you feel about church, oh, it's a chore. And that's how you feel about the Lord. I know that uh, we have to struggle against sin. Uh, and there is a, a remaining sin in all of us which pulls the other way. But if you are that's how you feel about the Lord. And if you feel that prayer is just what a burden then, that's how you feel about the Lord. And if that's you, just invite you to, to seek a renewing of your heart and God's mercy. Be dreadful, wouldn't it, if you just said, oh, I'm going to church just to um, keep up appearance, because otherwise Nick might send in the English break. Well, there's a problem here, um, is that the leaders are compounding the problem. Much more briefly. The Lord says that you've shown partiality in, in, in matters of the, of the biblical law. I think that what, mean, what, what the Lord means is that um, they're preferring the people over the Lord. Who are they showing partiality to? Um, well, possibly they're showing partiality to the rich people uh, over the poor people. Uh, but I think they're probably showing partiality to the people um, over and against the law. The people, uh, the priests are colluding. They're not challenging people on the things that they're bringing. Um, they're letting people off. And the Lord says to them, I'll send a curse on you. The Lord curses them. Leaders are always judged more strictly. Um, James 3, we who teach will be judged more strictly. And he causes them to be a curse. He says, I will curse your blessings. In other words, these priests who are, are, are at least in name, trying to teach people and uh, bring them into the presence of God. Uh, God will make their ministries um, ineffective. There will be a curse and not a blessing. And he says, you'll be cut off. You'll be carried off. I will smear on your faces the dung from your sacrifice and you'll be carried off with it. Uh, ultimately, their ministry and their dynasty will be cut off. He says, that if, if it carries on like this, there will be a time when your priesthood comes to an end. And of course, we know that he did. Because they are unlike Levi. And interesting, I think, isn't it, that this, um, uh, what the, what's the ministry of the priests here? We think of the, of the priests as being prim primarily uh, the vehicle for uh, offering sacrifices. Um, but the focus here is much more on the, the teaching responsibility. Uh, and so the Lord says, you, you're not being like Levi, who is your, uh, your father, your ancestor, that they... Um, uh, the, the, the first priest, the tribe from which uh, I, I chose to, I chose as my priests because he revered the Lord and he stood in awe of his name. That was Levi. 
he gave true and impartial instruction, regardless of who people were, whether they liked them or they didn't like them, whether they were rich or poor. He walked in integrity. What he what he said was what he did. Uh, ultimately, he turned many from sin. This is what you want from leadership. This is what we want from eldership. I think eldership have been tested uh, by this crisis. Um, we've seen little cracks um, here and there. Um, Paul says uh, to Titus, um, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe, and are not open to the charge of being bothered and disobedient. Uh, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. He must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, one who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy messages that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Leaders, leaders be like Levi, uh, at whatever level your leadership is, whether this is family leadership, and whether this would be leadership of a home group, whether this is um, leadership of, of Sunday club or grid or, or whatever it might be. Maybe, maybe the Lord is bringing um, judgment on our, on our leaders. Um, well, let's think. Let's just um, put this check on, on our hearts. Are we like Levi? Are, are we honestly revering the Lord? Are we people who, who stand in awe of his name? There has to be a kind of trembling before God. Uh, as, as a leadership quality. There has to be this uh, ability to instruct and to bring true and impartial instruction. I always think that um, what I'm looking for is, uh, in an elder is somebody who will join me in having the hard conversations with people that need to be had. Well, that's one of the things I'm grateful to our eldership for, um, that they do that. But leaders, of all, uh, leaders at all levels have to be able to do this. And leaders have to walk in integrity. Life has to match what you teach. There's no point being a teacher in any part of the church if you're not going to do what you teach. And ultimately, though, the mark of a, uh, the mark of a leader, uh, I, these challenge me too, um, is Levi, he turned many from sin. Turned many from sin. Under your ministry, um, under my ministry, do people turn from sin? That's the bottom line. So, I promised you that we were going to um, have a little look at this guy, Thomas Brooks. As I said at the beginning, what is, what is the Lord laying on your heart? What is he challenging us to um, in, in this time? Um, and Thomas Brooks was a Puritan um, preacher um, in the 17th century. And uh, in the midst of the Great Plague, 1665, just before the Great uh, Fire of London, um, he wrote uh, an interesting pamphlet, I'm not sure, quite sure what you'd call it. Um, and based on this verse in Micah, Micah not Malachi, um, listen, the Lord is calling to the city uh, to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. And he then, in London, um, seeing what was happening in London, uh, said, listen, uh, listen through this affliction. What is, the, what is the Lord saying to you? But helpfully also goes on to say, well, these are, the, these are some of the ways um, that you can find out, that you can heed the rod, um, that you can understand what the Lord might be saying to you. And we saw the first two last week. First one, very basic one, what does conscience say? It says conscience is God's preacher in the bosom. Uh, God is, it's God's preacher in your heart. Um, 
this one I think is a really good way of, of testing where is where is sin in your life? Um, which what is that sin he says which you are most unwilling to leave and bid an everlasting farewell to? Which sin would you spare if you had the choice? But I'm going to add two more, and there are twelve altogether. But we'll just pick them up over the weeks. This is a really good test, discovering uh, where sin is in your life. What is it that most destroys your confidence in, in approaching God? When you come before God, uh, when you come to prayer, what is the thing that most destroys your confidence? That's another way of, uh, of testing uh, where sin is in your life. And fourthly, he says, um, sometimes the affliction that God brings to you um, matches the, the sin. Uh, and I'll, I'll just explain that for a moment. Um, he says, is the judgment shame, then the sin was pride. If the judgment shame, then the sin was pride. Is the judgment poverty or famine, then the sin was abuse of abundance. Is the judgment oppression, then the sin was unmercifulness. Unmercifulness. Is the judgment sickness or lack of health, and the sin was either abuse of the health or the non-improvement of health? Is the judgment a famine of the word, then the sin was slighting and loathing of the word? Is the judgment war, then the sin was abuse of peace? Is the um, is the judgment a blind, carnal, profane, formal, selfish, superstitious clergy? I'll read that again. Is the judgment a blind, carnal, profane, formal, selfish, superstitious clergy? Then the sin has been slighting, neglecting, undervaluing, and despising an able, knowing, zealous, spiritual, and powerful ministry. Is the judgment of worshipping of God in a lazy, dry, dull, dead, formal, customary way, according to the inventions and traditions of men? Then the sin has been men's not worshipping God in spirit and in truth. And with that, zeal, spirit, life, warmth, and fervency, as he requires. Just some stuff you need to chew over. If you want the whole list, I'll send it to you. Where does that leave us? Let's come to the end. We uh, live with the same God. We need to test our hearts whether we're living with the same attitudes. Um, but we live with a new priest. Our Lord is uh, a great king who will be um, mightily honoured on that day uh, of the Lord. He, he will be honoured. Um, there will be a, a passionate, wholehearted whole um, people worshipping him on that day. Uh, he's the same God, but he's revealed anew uh, in Christ. He, Christ is the image uh, of the invisible God. But are our attitudes the same? Board worship. Board worship profanes the name of Christ and, and, and the sacrifice of Christ. Do we have partial under shepherds? Under shepherds, not courageous to, enough to hold people um, to the word of God. Partial under shepherds dishonor the good shepherd. It was always in the Lord's plan that, that Christ would come. It was always in, in the Lord's plan that uh, this priesthood uh, of Malachi's day would be superseded by the, the priesthood 
of Christ, Christ who is both sacrifice and the great um, high priest. But, but nevertheless, it was still um, their shame and their dishonor and their failings that caused them to be cut off. But because there is this new priesthood, uh, uh, Christ who brings a sacrifice of himself uh, into the throne of God, there, there is a sacrifice for sin. And there is a great high priest in heaven. If, if we've fallen short, um, then let's go to him. Uh, let's plead with him for, for, greater, for greater sight of him, uh, for, for greater vision of him uh, as the great king, uh, for conviction in the heart of, of where we need to change. Um, go to him. Um, go to him and, and, and plead what we need to plead uh, and to plead his sacrifice to cover our sins. Whatever we do, don't treat them cheaply. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, as we've said numerous times today, you are a great king. A great king who will be mightily and wholeheartedly honoured uh, in the day uh, of your return. Lord, in the meantime, we want to be people who passionately and wholeheartedly and fervently uh, worship you with all that we've got, not with the leftovers of life. Not coming to you because it's a chore that we feel for whatever reason we have to keep going with. So please, Lord, give us um, a fresh vision um, that you are the mighty King. By your Spirit, come and open our blind eyes. Um, give us also, Lord, a conviction in your heart by your Spirit. Don't, we pray, leave us languishing in, a, in an unknowing malaise where we don't know what our sin is, but we just feel things are not quite right. Please, Lord. Come by your spirit and be specific to our hearts that we might know where we need to repent, what we need to repent of. Sin is so subtle. Lord, we have anaesthetized ourselves. We confess it. And we need your spirit to, to, to make our consciences sharp again. Do we might see clearly where we've been bitten. And we might repent. We might come back to you. Yeah with vigour, with, with wholeheartedness. And we ask it in, in the name of Jesus, our sacrifice, the one whose blood we plead before you, Lord, there, there is no other atonement and we plead no other atonement. But please apply his blood to us afresh that we might be forgiven. And he is our great high priest. And we thank you that even now, he is, as it were, presenting his sacrifice afresh before you to cover our sin. And he is praying to you for us, that we might grow and go on. And we thank you for that. Amen.